All right, Rafa Giallo here. The 2022 FIFA World Cup is looming large and the tournament is due to kick off on the 20th of November. Now, the plight of migrant workers in Qatar has been an issue of concern for many rights organisations since Qatar was awarded the rights to host the tournament back in 2010. And Amnesty International have released their latest reality check report outlining some of the reforms made by the Qatari state to the kafala system and also the many lingering issues that remain. Now, I'm speaking to Amnesty International's Head of Economic and Social Justice, Stephen Cockburn, about the reforms that have been made, the many lingering issues that remain, the calls for a compensation fund for workers, and also FIFA's role within all of this. So, Stephen, to start off, let's define the kafala system first and what it actually entailed prior to the advent of the first reforms. So, yeah, the kafala system is common uh, across uh, most Gulf countries. Um, it essentially means sponsorship in Arabic. Um, so uh, workers will come from other countries and they'll be sponsored uh, by, by an employer in Qatar. And the, the, the employer would have, I guess, control and permission over their, um, uh, their entry, their visa, but also their residence permit. Um, and until the last few years in Qatar... Um, that also meant that um, uh, a worker couldn't change job or even leave the country without uh, without permission of their employer. So that the employer had real major power over the worker, um, and it meant that you know in, that an abusive employer um, could maintain that control quite easily. And a worker who may not have been in good working conditions or may have been um, not been had their salaries paid had very limited ability to escape that abuse and limited ability to negotiate better conditions because they were essentially, you know, at the mercy of, of that employer. Yeah, and reforms have been made to the system. Can you maybe just talk us through the the basic reforms that have been made and maybe we'll get into the lingering issues that still exist because there's a issue of things being, you know, laws set in place on paper, but in reality on the ground, as Amnesty have outlined, there are a lot of issues. But in terms of the major reforms that were made uh, first, what what are they? So uh, over the last couple of years, um, two major reforms in relation to the kafala system. Um, so there's been a whole range of reforms, first of all, I mean, including a new minimum wage, um, some new health and safety legislation, uh, and um, in, in relation to the kafala system, the two big changes have been that one, the um, uh, the requirement to get the permission of your employer to leave the country, we're called an exit permit, that that has been abolished, and that the um, the requirement to get the permission um, for, to change jobs, which was called a no, no objection certificate, has been abolished with a few restrictions remaining. Um, um, uh, which has, you know, it has made quite a big difference to to a lot of people. Um, but we, of course, still hear plenty of stories about people who are restricted um, because of some remaining restrictions in place, or or because of debts that they may have, or or, or 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 the fact that some of the reforms may not be enforced in in certain places. Yeah, and in regards to how Amnesty have raised issues with. The Qatari state. What organs of the state do you generally approach uh, when there are issues and in, in, in terms of trying to get them resolved? Yeah, so we we communicate uh, communicate quite regularly with the Ministry of Labour uh, in Qatar as well as the the sort of general communications office. But it's the Ministry of Labour that we all work with a lot, and we have for, for more than a decade um, been raising cases of forced labour, cases of unpaid wages, um, cases of of un, unsafe um, and, and uh, un um, 
unsafe working conditions and, and, and uninhabitable accommodation. Um, so we've been raising those cases for more than a decade and we continue to do so and tr also trying to push them on the reforms to make sure that they are not just on paper, but are actually enforced in practice as well. Yeah. And from my understanding, uh, a lot of in regards to the laws that govern uh, migrant workers in Qatar, that a lot of it is under the auspices of the interior ministry. Would that be right? And that maybe adds uh, that does add an extra layer of an issue um, in regards to trying to raise some of the problems that exist there. That's right. So uh, a number of the reforms that pass are, are by the Ministry of Labour, but but some of the, the way that the things are governed are, are through the Ministry of Interior. So one of the key problems that we that many uh, domestic uh, many wo migrant workers, including domestic workers, um, has been this um, a charge uh, that, that employers will do called an absconding, um, where uh, an employer may want to change jobs, may not be allowed to, but has decided, well, I'm going to leave. I want to escape this. I, I, I'm not being paid properly. I'm not being treated properly. Or I've got a better job. Um, and the um, the employer may do a sort of malicious charge, file a of absconding, in a sense they've, they've escaped, uh, which is, a, you know, a, a, and, and that would lead to uh, the sort of police, the Ministry of Interior um, uh, could, you know, a, 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 detain them and even deport them from the country because of that and, and cancel their, their residence ID. So there is there is a, a need for a coordination in the approach between the Ministry of Labour and, and, and the Interior Ministry to make sure that you know migrant workers are treated as they've been promised to be. Yeah, and in your reports, the reality check reports that have uh, been released more or less annually, and I think the, the most recent one is also coming out here this week on the 20th of October, the... Um, you know, when you read through it, and obviously there you do, um, Amnesty does interviews either in person or remotely. How big a risk is it for those workers actually to, and and also for your investigators uh, to to operate? So you know, we, Qatar does allow Qatar authorities do allow us to go and do do research, but there you know there are restrictions, and, and and journalists face a lot of restrictions in the country as well, especially regarding filming. You know, so many, many, there have been cases of journalists who've wanted to film in Qatar and film workers' accommodation who have been detained and arrested in, in, in Qatar. So there are, there are certainly risks to that. Workers, some, there are many workers who don't feel comfortable um, speaking and certainly, and certainly don't want to do it publicly. Some are willing to talk to you because they are frustrated with their situation. I think we find often cases um, that people who are most willing to speak to you are those who, um, they've got nothing left to lose. They haven't been paid for six months. They they're stuck. Um, they they're trying to escape. So they will. They want to talk to you. They want to find a solution. They want to raise their cases. And, and unfortunately, there, there are a lot of those cases. Um, so there are risks. Um, there was, for example, a um, security guard who was arrested last year um, and detained for quite some time, um, who because he was blogging about about uh, different issues. And so there is a there are restrictions on the way people speak out. And of course, employers themselves may. Um, may um, retaliate against workers who do so, um, and that is a that that's a major risk to workers, and it's a major deterrent for them doing so. And so, there's a need to improve working conditions, but there's also a need to improve sort of freedom of expression in the country, and also the right to trade unions. Trade unions are still banned, despite the reforms. There are still no trade unions allowed in Qatar, which means workers don't have the ability to gather together and negotiate in safety together. Yeah, and if we look at Amnesty's uh, reality check report in 2021, and which there were a number of issues raised and also a call for urgency in terms of dealing with them, and then for, with the report that's coming out this week, 
are there has there been much progress at all in that in that span especially considering that a lot of migrant workers are working on projects have to do with the world cup which is only now uh, about a month away so there've been there've been progress in a couple of areas i'd say i think the the compensation that workers who've lost their wages and sort of access to justice and, and sort of labor tribunals has improved and that there is more more wages being compensated but it's still quite difficult for workers to get it but that's certainly that that has got better and i think the uh, implementation of the, the abolition of the exit permit and and to some degree the the ability to change jobs has improved as well there's still gaps but there i think there has been some progress there where i think we've seen much more limited progress has been in um, in investigations of deaths of workers so still most workers who will die in qatar their causes of death are not investigated um, and that means that, you know, if it's been work related, um, we don't know. Uh, and it also means that families don't get the compensation, which is really a significant and major issue. There's been um, that that remains a huge issue. So does you know domestic workers. There's been um, a law, you know, an improved law in there since 2017, but really not in, not not implemented. You know, the research that we've done shows that the most vast majority of, of, of domestic workers work still between 14 and 18 hours a day without a day off is the norm, which is, you know, it's, it's illegal as well as absolutely unacceptable, but there's not really been much progress on that. And that's that's some of the most vulnerable workers in the country uh, and is really serious. And we still see lots of cases of forced labour amongst, especially in certain sectors like security, the private, like among security guards, um, cleaners uh, and, and certain. So I think there's been some progress in some areas, but but the reality is that abuses still persist. They're still prevalent, especially in certain sectors and in certain areas. And because laws that have been in place for a long, long time just simply aren't enforced enough. And when we talk about maybe the limits on enforcing it and maybe some, maybe some of the reasons why uh, certain sectors of society in, in Qatar don't want change to happen, are we looking at it as more like the business community, a sense of backlash from them against reforms because, again, it goes against their interests? I think there are, there are certainly fears. Uh, I mean, like in any country where there's, you know, reforms, big reforms happening, there are always interests that will, will oppose that. Uh, and of course, commercial interests are touched in in Qatar um, by changing labour laws. Um, so there there is a, a resistance in some. Um, there, I think, is also a resistance to accountability. You know, so there's a there's a resistance to um, holding people criminally responsible for exploitation. And that's a really big issue. There's very few people who are, are criminally pros prosecuted for for exploiting workers. Um, uh, that that absolutely needs to change. Um, I, I think you know the. I think there are also there is a quite big constituent Qatar that supports the reforms too, whether that's politically or in the business environment, because it's it's the right thing to do for workers, but actually to 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 have a more modern economy does need and to have a sort of more skilled labor force and a, a more mobile labor force, it does require that ability to change jobs and allow people to improve their conditions. And and, and it should be a good thing for the country as well as a good thing for workers. Um, but of course there are some people that oppose that in, in the short term. Yeah, as you've outlined in a couple of cases there, you know, enforcement is the, the major issue. You mentioned the NOC or the non-objection certificate. So this was something that isn't, in theory, it's not supposed to be required now. But as you found in the reports that Amnesty have put out, it's still, some some employers are still asking for that. Some employers are still asking for that, um, yes, and, and putting barriers in place. Um, and then there are others that are... Um, 
that I mentioned before may, may file absconding charges uh, if someone leaves without that permission. So the, the, the law should permit people to leave, but there are practical um, barriers in place for that uh, that may prevent some people from, from taking advantage of that. Um, they, that. That could be resolved. We could get rid of the, the laws around absconding and we could simplify the processes um, uh, for that. Uh, and I think it's really important that the, Qat- the Qatari authorities um, do that so that the, the reforms do what they're meant to do um, for people. And what you feel maybe is actually preventing the Qatari state from maybe particularly on that absconding law, for example, because, again, it could be something that could be done in the space of a few months, one would imagine. So what do you feel is actually preventing that from happening? I think there probably still is a resistance uh, in some quarters about um, giving up too much control over workers. So there has clearly been a um, big change in terms of the, the changes in the kafala system, but there is still resistance to giving workers too much power and too much control um, as they would perceive it. Um, uh, whereas in reality, um, you know, these are their rights, it's their rights to be able to, to move freely between jobs. Um, it should be their right to be able to organize and, 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 and you know, have trade unions to protect their interests. But of course, they're, you know, the, the, the country has, has, has been based on the kafala system for so long that that fear and that, that fear uh, of, of opening up too much may, may still be there. Um, I, I, I think that you know they should have the confidence to be able to to see that the, the reforms were the right choice for Qatar and to really see them through, and, and the country will benefit as well as workers. Yeah, and one one other thing that's sort of related is the the non complete or the non compete clause, which uh, you know exists mm-hmm. in in industries across the world, but the way it seems to be applied in Qatar, it's in industries where it's not particularly relevant. Employers use it as another means of uh, you know trying preventing basically preventing their workers from changing jobs. Yeah, I think the the the, the issue often is is that you know. Also, when things are defined quite broadly, it's very easy to interpret them in a very, and this this you'll see in many countries, if, if a legislation or law is, is, is broadly interpreted, it provides a lot of space for people to um, implement that in a way that was not intended or in a way that is not favourable to, to, to workers. And, and you know, that, that could be an example of that. Yeah. And then in regards to the workers' debts that you mentioned, so uh, these these are more, more often than not people who have actually had health checks before they come over. And many of the documented cases, they're, they're in their 30s, no major health issues. And then it's just very interesting how their debts are then recorded with uh, natural causes often being used and also then yep. cardiac arrest and bears no real link to the actual you know the the foundation of their of their health previous to going there that's right so there's a really you know the the, the question of how many workers have died in qatar you know since the world cup was ordered has, has been hugely controversial hugely contested um the figures you know sometimes go in many different directions and, and the, the 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 heart of that there's probably two real important facts that we know one is that workers have been um working in unsafe conditions in the extreme heat and without inadequate protection for the vast majority of the last decade. Um, that is starting to improve, but not enough. Um, um, and and that there will be, and there are studies showing that that will have led to an excess number of deaths uh, among certain professions and nationalities. There's an important study on the poorly construction workers, for example, that shows that there could have been hundreds of deaths prevented with the right kind of uh, prevention measures. Uh, and the other important fact is that Qatar simply doesn't carry out uh, proper investigations of deaths 
when they occur. So as, as you say, um, they're often down to cardiac arrest or natural causes or or causes that, you know, um, the, the, the sort of medical experts that we speak to when we, we've done our research say are meaningless. They, they just, it, it just means they've died. Um, and what is actually needed is a, an investigation. Um, uh, you know, if someone previously healthy of a, of a healthy age has collapsed at night away from their work site, but maybe back at the accommodation from respiratory failure, from heart attack, there needs to be an investigation in why. What were their working conditions? Could that have been a cause? And if that's the case, the assumption is that it should be work-related. Um, measures have to be put in place to prevent that, but also families have to be compensated. And it's it's really tragic and it's really unfair on the families who've lost both a breadwinner, um, a family member, and their financial security has been has been um, torn apart. Yeah, and obviously uh, the World Cup was awarded way back in 2010 by FIFA and you know they've sort of been in the eye of the storm when it comes to some of the criticism so in regards to Amnesty International or, or other rights bodies when they're raising these concerns with FIFA uh, similarly to how you raise concerns to the organs of the state in Qatar what's the organ within FIFA that you wouldn't generally go to and then what is the general tone of response and maybe the sense of urgency that uh, the follows after? Yeah, so we we have regular dialogue with this human rights team within FIFA, um, the human rights department, and um, but also um, we uh, you know we we appeal directly to to FIFA president to Gianni Infantino um, uh, and and others to to raise it at the highest level as well. You know we we always you know FIFA has accepted that it's got a human rights responsibility, it's got a human rights policy, it's starting to try and improve the way it does things, um, but we we have always kind of highlighted the fact that we feel they've been too hands-off in Qatar in terms of the working conditions around their around their stadiums. And that's we've, you know, we found abuses on on, on World Cup sites. Um, we felt that they have not been strong enough in 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 sort of on the on the broader range of projects around the world that are essential to the world, like the metro, the highways, things that FIFA don't control but are important that are essential for their tournament. We feel they need to be stronger in in how they are, are, are getting Qatar to enforce better standards on that. And, and then the other thing is we feel they have done nothing really to make amends for the uh, violations that have taken place over the last um, over the last decade. And so we've been uh, running a campaign with other organisations um, to set up a compensation fund uh, to use some of the revenues for the World Cup and uh, to set up a compensation work fund for, for workers who have paid recruitment fees unfairly, who have lost wages or even families of, of workers who have lost lives. Um, they could do something real and practical for workers for doing that, and so we are um, we are constantly raising with that with that with them, and we are waiting to hear uh, what the response is. Yeah, and the compensation fund that you, you mentioned it's four hundred and forty million US dollars. Um, it's probably fair to say that's at the lower end of the scale of uh, in regards to what maybe if we're looking at figures and what the true level of compensation should be, it probably would be much higher. But that's sort of the lower end of the scale, I imagine. So we what we've said is that um we want as a starting point um for, for FIFA to um ring fence um you know the amount equivalent to the prize money they're giving to teams in the World Cup, which is $440 million, to put that in the fund to start it. But the actual amount would need to that was used would actually be estimated based on people's claims on on on, on a more deeper analysis of what needs to be um what needs to be uh, compensated, how many people, et cetera. And also the Qatar needs to contribute to that. So it is FIFA's responsibility to an extent, but it's also Qatar's responsibility. So we would expect that Qatar would would, would also um, contribute to that fund uh, in, a, in a large way um, to be able to do so. So yeah, if, you know, if we're going to compensate 
every abuse that's taking place, it would be more than that. Um, and but of course, it needs a it, it needs a real process to 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 define how that would work, um, how much it would cost, and and who and how people could access it. And so far, how responsive have FIFA been to that? Because as such, there hasn't been anything announced as of yet. We might talk about the football associations, that, um, and that might be one route to try and uh, push FIFA in that direction. But how, like, how have you found the response so far from FIFA itself? So you know, we've been talking to FIFA about this. We first wrote to FIFA um, to President Infantino five months ago. Um, we've not had a reply to that letter, so we've not been, um, we've not had an official reply to that. Um, we understand that they are considering it. Um, they said last week at a, at a meeting that there was something that we're seriously considering progressing. That was a vice president of FIFA. So we know it's being discussed. We know it's being raised with them. We know that others are raising it with them, whether that's sponsors or football associations as well. Um, but they've, you know, four or five weeks left of the World Cup. They've not made an announcement. They've not made a commitment. Um, it's getting, it's got stuck somewhere. Uh, you know, it needs some leadership from from uh, Gianni Infantino to say we're going to do this. We don't need all the details. We don't need all. You know, don't have to, an exact plan of how it work. But it's a commitment that we're going to do it. That we're going to set up an expert group. That we are going to study how the best way to to make this happen, and that they'll fulfil their responsibilities, um, and that we'll set aside some money for it. Um, uh, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful something will happen. But it, it, time is running out, and. We do need to see leadership from FIFA because the, the, there's a huge momentum now calling for it, whether it's from football fans, whether it's from sponsors, whether it's from football associations, from former players, um, and they're not responding yet. Um, and we need to see more. Yeah, because uh, UEFA working group it was last week in a meeting raised it with FIFA. I think that might be potentially the, uh, the meeting you were referring to there. But uh, there's also a need, obviously, for some of the football associations around the world. Now, some of them, like the English FA, like the Norwegian, the Dutch, the Germans, have have, have sort of without maybe officially announcing anything, they have sort of pushed it in the right direction. But it seems, I would imagine, from an Amnesty International point of view, that that is not enough as of yet, and it probably needs to be a bit more global. Yeah, we'd like to see more for sure. I mean, it's been, you know, in the last month, there's been a big shift. You know, we've had, I think, seven or eight uh, football associations, the most recent being the USA, which obviously the next host of the World Cup just came out um, on Monday um, saying that they would support it as well. Um, but yeah, we, we that, that so there's, you know, in a short space of time, we've had a huge growth in support for this idea. Um, we, we do need that. Um, we would like to see that from other parts of the world as well and from other football associations to speak out because it's in everyone's common interest and it's in everyone's, everyone has a responsibility for this. You know, football associations will profit, they'll make money from the World Cup um, and they need to play a role um, in, in, in making sure that it's not tainted by abuse and that something positive can come out of this as well. Um, yeah, uh, as you outlined, uh, there were a number of sponsors that have actually supported some some big name corporate sponsors. Now FIFA have fourteen of them, and uh, AB, InBev, Budweiser, Coca Cola, Adidas, McDonald's have all agreed that the compensation fund is something that needs to be progressed. There are ten more that have it seems not responded. Some of them are actually state Qatari state owned as well, uh, like Qatar Airways and Qatar Energy. Uh, particularly in those two cases, I presume you're not overly surprised that perhaps given their own relationships with the Qatari state, and I mean, it is state-owned, that perhaps they're, they would be reluctant to speak out on it. Yeah, so we've had four positive responses and there's about another 10 who who have, who have who didn't respond to, to our letters. And that includes a mix of brands like um, Hyundai, and uh, but also others, um, you know, like, as you said, Qatar Airways and 
uh, and then others from China and India and elsewhere. And and I guess what we would say is that they they have the same response, whether they are linked to the Saudi state, sorry, the Qatari state or not, or whether they are linked to um, uh, whether they're private companies in their own countries, they have the same responsibilities under international human rights standards um, to uh, that they they should support this, that they should put pressure on. It's a risk to their brand, um, and and you know we think they 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 need to speak out as well. Um, so very much hope that they can do so before the twelfth. And would you be hopeful also that some of the ambassadors so. Qatar 2022 has had a number of very high-profile ambassadors as well. I presume you're you'd also be calling and urging them to also speak out, not just in terms of promoting the World Cup, which is what they're actually being paid to do, but to actually highlight or at least speak out about some of the lingering issues that we've talked about. Yeah, I think it's really important because you know there, there are there are well-known individuals with huge profiles who um, who are making a lot of money. I mean, paid a lot of money to promote the country and. And and I think it's important that they realise the profile they've got and can 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 also provide fair, honest assessment of some of the other channel uh, challenges. Um, and um, we would certainly encourage um, you know whether it's David Beckham or, or others to to also be raising um, human rights issues, um, whether that is about migrant workers' rights, whether that's LGBT rights or, or, or other issues, um, as part of their you know part of their their their. their their discussion on the tournament because they are they are so well known they were such big reach um and what they say is important and um we hope they can be allies yeah and for future world cups and this uh this is the final point for future world cups uh and the next one which is uh hosted by three countries the usa canada mexico in 2026 there is a human rights criteria brought into the assessment when the bid was being made for for that one and for any future ones that wasn't the case with qatar when it was being assessed in 2010 that being said, when we, um, you know, when we look at what happens after the World Cup, and obviously it moves on to other countries, but in regards to the situation in Qatar with Kafala with reforms, how concerned are you that once the eyes of the world move on, that you know some of the, you know, the the pace of reforms or the urgency of it will either stall or maybe there might even be a reversal? Is that a major worry for you that perhaps with the natural way that? I guess the eyes of the world move. That that's that's a major concern going forward. Yeah, that is a concern. I I, I think we've always felt that the World Cup provided a, a sort of a window of opportunity or a, a spotlight, an ability to extend the spotlight on conditions and, and drive progress. Um, now, I I would say that I think I'm, I mean the Qatar has said it will continue the reforms and it will say it will continue work with the international labour organisation to do so. And I think many of the, the reforms are in their own interests as well. Um, and 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 so I I do believe that. They will continue. I, I guess I have my questions about whether they, you know, without the sort of international scrutiny, what the level of enforcement will be and what the level of, of, of implementation will be. And I think it's really important that we do keep an eye on. So Amnesty will keep will keep reporting on on Qatar and monitoring it. And Qatar will continue to be to want to be a a, a global hub for for whether it's media, for sport, or for, for many other things. It, it won't disappear into the, into the limelight entirely. Um, you know, it will bid for, for future sporting events and, and it will be hosting major conferences. And so I think we do have to keep using these. We have to keep watching what's happening and, and keep encouraging Qatar to move and, and, and criticizing when necessary and praising when, 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 when deserved um, because the World Cup isn't the end. And it's a big opportunity to, to do something lasting for workers. Um, but we've got to obviously make sure it lasts.
Okay. Thank you very much, Stephen Cockburn. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, obviously we'll be following what is happening in Qatar on and off the pitch over the next two months.